Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. A little weird to say that coming off of a game, but it is in fact our Wednesday edition. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How are you? Doing well, and also Doug Maurice joining us. Doug, how are you? Doing great. Okay, so uh, we opened this up to our Football Insider subscribers. A few of them might be hopping on our Zoom here. We'll take some questions from them, but they also sent some questions in uh, when I sent out a text. So, you know, I've gotten asked by a couple people today, including some text subscribers, about Joe Woods. Uh, you know, if if there's anything to be unhappy about last night, it was the you know the defense wasn't great. They gave up a bunch of points. Lamar Jackson was kind of doing what Lamar Jackson does. Um, I, I guess the bigger question here, and I'll just read what the text says. Uh, this is from Nick in Iowa. What are your guys' thoughts on Joe Woods this season? How can the Browns improve defensively towards the end of the, end of the season or for next season? And I go back and forth on this, honestly. I, I'm not sure if it's Joe Woods. I'm not sure if it's personnel and guys who have gotten hurt. I, I just don't know. I guess I don't know what I expect Joe Woods to do necessarily. Because, look, against Tennessee, he did a really nice job. Uh, rolled out that five-man front, contained Derrick Henry, you know, Obviously, the Titans got hot in the second half and scored a bunch of points. But I, I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think of the job Joe Woods has done? And, and what should our expectations be of him, considering what this team has? You know, when I look at, at what Joe has had to deal with this season, if you just take the game yesterday and, and you look at his, his sheet for who was supposed to be in the defensive backfield, it was supposed to be Grant Delpit and Ronnie Harrison and Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. Not one of those guys was in that football game. So their depth is strained to the max. And, you know, it's just, it's not always going to hold up when you get against these really good football teams and you get down into your second string guy and your third string guy and your fourth string guy, you're going to have some issues and, and that's where they're at. I mean, they're playing, you know, MJ Stewart and, and guys like that. So uh, it's going to be tough to hold up. And we all know that they did not invest, uh, you know, they just did not invest heavily in the linebacking core this year. And I think that they will add some parts next year to that. Um, but I think for the most part, I think he's doing pretty much the best he can with what he has had to work with this season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, the idea of like, well, is it personnel or is it Joe Woods? It's like, well, it's it's 
definitely personnel. Does anybody think it's not that? Who thinks that it's Joe Woods' fault? It's not, you're not blameless. But I mean, I, to Mary Kay's point, I mean, I think it's very possible that when you look at the Browns back seven next year, that there's just like nobody who played last night will be playing next year. I mean, is that too much to say? Because even the guy like BJ Goodson's been healthy all year. He's not the answer at middle linebacker long-term. Andrews and Dejo has been playing every snap. He's not the long, any kind of long-term, even the guys who are playing and Sandejo is playing more than he should because of the Delpit injury. But I mean, man, like this just, it's the same stuff we talked about all year. I, I just am surprised sometimes by how frustrated people still are with the defense while they're nine and four, while they're very injured and while they clearly prioritized the offense in the off season, like the answers are right there in front of you. So I guess, and and here's the other thing who show me the team with the high flying offense and a lockdown defense. Who is that? I don't know if you can find them. I assume they're winning the super bowl, (laughs) but, but this is how it works. And you, you chose Andrew Barry chose Kevin Stefanski chose to invest in the offense. And that payoff is clanging coins every time you pull the lever. So this is the world. And if you're just going to allow, I mean, the Titans got steamrolled by the Browns in the first half, two weeks ago, that defense got rolled by the Browns and the Titans are going to be like the third seed in the playoffs. There are really good teams that have bad defenses. That's who the Browns are. They'll fix it in the offseason. And, and I also think it's important to point out that this team still has pieces, right? I mean, Doug, you mentioned the Titans. You, you want to talk about a bad defense. I mean, they don't have a, anybody that can rush the passer. Browns have Miles Garrett. So you have a, a potential game changer in a playoff game on that defensive line. The Browns will eventually get Denzel Ward back. Uh, the Titans don't have a guy like that in their secondary. So the Browns have these pieces and these parts. And then going into next year, kind of like you mentioned, you'll get Grant Delpit back coming off that Achilles. We'll see how, how he looks. You'll have Ronnie Harrison. You might get Ronnie Harrison back this year. Uh, so you've kind of got your safeties. You've got a great edge rusher. You've got a potentially great corner. I mean, there, there's pieces here. The fixes for this defense are right there. And, you know, I, I think Joe Woods certainly deserves a shot with more talent to show what he can do because, you know, he, he coordinated a couple good, he coordinated a pretty good defense in Denver. We know that we know he can do it. You know what, when I look at the defense, uh, I do think they're in pretty good shape for next year. I think there is, there are a, a few concerns uh, from a health standpoint uh, in digging a little bit more into the whole greedy Williams thing. Um you know, you just have to hope that the nerve damage, that axillary nerve damage in his shoulder can come back because right now it's not responding. Uh, so hopefully for them, that will come back. Uh, and Grant Delpit, uh, there's usually in, from stuff that I've, I've dug into, 78% chance of coming back really strong and being your old self from a ruptured Achilles. So there's a great chance of him coming back. But there, I, there are also question marks. So I think they probably will have to, uh, you know, they will probably have to draft or sign some guys as insurance policies. And to your point, Doug, you were asking about, will any of these guys be back? I think some of them will be. I think some of them will be here to provide depth, but that's what they will be. They will be depth. I mean, Andrew Sandejo was supposed to be, uh, you know, get, you know, maybe whatever, 
a fifth of the snaps and then play special teams. He was not supposed to be out on the field for every single snap. Uh, you know, same thing with Terrence Mitchell. He's supposed to be a role player. Uh, same thing with Kevin Johnson. So I think some of these guys can be here next year, but what they're supposed to be as depth. You look at what Chris Hubbard on the offensive line has done as a starting right tackle last year. He was not good enough as your sixth swing guy who can play both tackle spots and both guard spots. That's exactly what you want Chris Hubbard to be. So if you turn, as you said, Mary Kay, a couple of these guys who are playing too many snaps, you turn them into veteran solid backups and you get better talent, healthy talent on top of them. You're exactly right. And, and the, the last point on this, um, you, know, you remember going into this offseason, right? We looked at this offense and we said, okay, they need a right tackle, a left tackle. You know, we identified, you know, at a tight end, we identified these needs that they have, and it was really easy for them to go out and fill them. And they're going to be able to sort of have that laser focus on the defense this side, right? We kind of know eh, you could probably use another corner, right? You could use another edge rusher. You could use a linebacker. And they're going to have these resources to go out and fill those needs kind of however they, they want to fill them um, coming into this offseason. Okay, so uh, a bunch of you have jumped in here since I texted out this Zoom. If you want to jump in and ask a question, you can raise your hand uh, with the uh, participants. You just open that up. It'll open up a panel on the right side of your screen, and there'll be a raise hand function down there. You can do it on your phone as well. I think it's the participants button now on your phone, too. Uh, to raise your hand. So feel free to do that. We're going to go through some other questions uh, that came in from our texters here. Uh, let me find a, a good one here. Someone was asking about Miles Garrett. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is accurate, but, but we'll kind of answer the question anyway. Uh, from the 480 area code, Miles really hasn't looked like Miles since he's returned from COVID-19. Is there something else going on with him sans the elbow injury? My response to that is I thought he looked pretty good against the Titans. You know, didn't put up big numbers, but I thought he was getting in the backfield and causing problems. I just think Lamar Jackson is really hard for a guy like Miles Garrett. I think Miles Garrett could chase around Lamar Jackson. I just think he's a really hard guy to deal with. I think it's tough to kind of judge what Miles did last night. And of course, he, he had the elbow injury as well. I think we're going to come away from this game against the Giants, and we're going to be talking about how well Miles Garrett played after he forces, I, I think I said last night, about three strip sacks on. Uh, on Daniel Jones. You know, I, I will say this. Uh, when I went out to practice last week, there was a day where I just kind of watched Miles just to see how he was feeling and see what he was doing. And in the middle of a drill, he just kind of just, he just took a knee and he just, he just stopped and he took it easy. And I do think that it is taking him a little while to get back from COVID when they are out they're not allowed to work out. They're not allowed to condition. If they do that, they're doing it against medical advice. So they're just supposed to just shut it down. And I think for the most part, he did do that. I think he kind of followed those rules. So I think he is getting uh, his conditioning back and his wind back. And, uh, and I think that, you know, hopefully for him and for the Browns, he'll be kind of rounding back into shape right when they need him for the playoffs. Doug, what have, what have you thought of Miles since he's come back? No, I just, I didn't say anything because I agree with everything that Mary Kay said. <laughs> I mean, I just really, I also think, I mean, it's, it's very hard. We're not medical doctors, but some people have COVID and test positive and are asymptomatic. Some people test positive for COVID and have symptoms. And Miles clearly had symptoms. And I just think 
it's easy for us when we're talking about the, the most elite athletes in the nation to just think, well, they'll be fine. But this is a, something that I, you know, beyond the lack of conditioning because you can't work out. I think it's very normal to expect that maybe somebody who had a, a case of COVID that had symptoms is not himself right away. So, and, and sometimes I think, Dan, the point you're making, like you see this a lot, the difference between getting pressure and the 10% more you need to get there, to get the strip sack, get the sack, get to the guy that you're close, but you're not quite there. Uh, there's a lot of reasonable explanations why Miles Garrett might look pretty good and might not quite be getting there because he's not quite himself yet. I think it's very reasonable and it's, it's hard for us because we know he's great, but this was a, he was sick. And you know what? I think you can look uh, right at Lamar Jackson from yesterday and see uh, that, you know, there could be for some guys lingering effects uh, from COVID-19 even, even after they get back to the field and we look at them and they are, freaks of nature and they look like they were sculpted out of of stone and it is hard to believe that you know that maybe they they might actually have to uh uh be they that they're cramping up and that they have to go to the locker room and get uh iv fluids at, at halftime but i'll tell you you know i think that right there that that is just a testament to the fact that this thing as miles said it kicked his butt and i think he's still coming back from it yeah, I mean, I, it struck me how honest kind of Miles was about how it affected him. Uh, and and that's that's sort of why I was a little bit like, okay, maybe this will take some time uh, for Miles to come back. But I do, again, going back to that Tennessee game, I, I thought he made an impact in, in that football game. And I think on Sunday night against the Giants, he's going to, you know, look, he might make the case for defensive player of the year Sunday night. That's kind of how you do it. You make a, a bunch of big plays in a national TV game. He might put himself right back into that discussion, even with the missed time. Uh, Bud had walked away, but uh, he's back now. So I'm going to ask him to unmute and ask his question. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, maybe, maybe this was asked already, but was there a spy on Lamar for that game? You know, it didn't look like it. Uh, if there was, they, uh, they couldn't keep up with him and they let him go uh, far too often. I, you know, so it, it didn't look like they assigned one person to them. I think that uh, the game plan was for everyone to, you know, stay in their run fits and have their, uh, you know, and not lose contain like they did on the outside. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just one more comment. Maybe uh, you're in agreement with me. It just seems that winning games like that, is, is lucky. In other words, Baltimore is lucky they have such a skillful guy that could scramble. But that's, to me, that's not real football. The Browns, the Browns are earning it the, the good old-fashioned way with better wide receivers, better runners, uh, smarter, you know, traditional plays. Am I being too cruel to, to state that? In other words, it was a cheap win to me. We were extremely upset here out in California, and we had people screaming. Uh, <laughs> is that unfair for me to state that about Lamar or is he that good? Totally unfair. Totally. That's, okay. that's not how football works anymore. Watch Josh Allen, watch Aaron Rodgers, watch Patrick Mahomes, watch Lamar Jackson, watch Russell Wilson, watch game changing magic making players, which are the guys okay. who make the difference. I mean, that's scoreboard. I mean, scoreboard is scoreboard. You don't earn anything other than whether you win or lose. So like the idea that it's non-traditional 
I don't even know what that means anymore. This guy, but the other part of this, this guy ran for 1,200 yards last year. So it's like, did they spy him? Did they do whatever? He's amazing. He's unlike anything we've seen, but it's a plan. They also build a plan around what he does best. But, you know, you don't get bonus points for executing. It's about whether you win or lose. And this is, but this is where I agree with your point. The Browns don't quite have that. That's not exactly what they are. They are going to win on execution. They are going to win on play design. They are going to win on doing everything right and making a good block and Nick Chubb hitting a cutback lane. They're not going to win on magic. So that's how much better the Browns have to be because Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, those kind of players have a little more magic. So you've got to be 10% more precise to overcome the magic. The guy for the Browns who has the magic is OBJ and he's not here. When you run that reverse against the Cowboys and it gets sniffed out and it should get blown up and he turns a 10 yard loss into a 60 yard touchdown run. That's not Kevin Stefanski, brilliant play design. That is a special individual doing a thing. And if you don't have that, you've got to be even better, but a lot of good teams have that. And that's not luck or coincidence. That's the modern NFL, in my opinion. And the other thing about doing it the traditional way, there have been games this season where the Browns have kind of eschewed the pass a little bit and just relied on their two-headed monster. And, you know, there might be still games down the road where they have to do more of that or maybe games next season uh, where they have to do that. But I don't think anybody would complain if they rush for you know, 260 yards and they win the football game uh, in sort of a non-balanced, you know, newfangled kind of way with, with these two guys that most people don't have two up. So I agree. It's, it's all for however you can win the game. I'll, I'll make two points uh, off of what you said, but I I think first speaking to the Ravens and and how they play, it speaks to that organization. Um, They, you know, Lamar kind of fell into their laps. I mean, they even passed on him with their first first round pick that year but then he falls in their laps with with one of those last picks of the first round and they grab him and then they just go all in and they build their organization around that quarterback and and, you know if you're looking for a model organization it's the Ravens and we're starting to see the Browns now that's what they're doing with Baker Mayfield they're starting to build that organization around Baker and making him successful and then the other the other piece that you said I, I thought right off the bat that maybe that win felt a little lucky Get ready for this, Browns fans. Some of these games that you're going to play, now that this team is good, now that you're going against teams like the Ravens, when, when you go against teams like uh, you know whoever you want to throw out there, some of these games are going to come down to the bounce of a football or the ball hitting it upright. Or, you know, I mentioned this. I don't know if it was on this pot or if it was on something else. The Chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and then D. Ford lined up offsides on fourth down. And New England ends up going on and winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, crazy things like that happen. So, they're, you know, you're going to experience this as you get into real games against really good teams. It's, it's not going to be luck that gets you there. But some of these games do get decided on little coin flip plays or little stupid bounces of the ball and, and things like that. I don't know if that was the case last night, but you're going to see some games that play out like that. The Browns also fumbled three times in the first half last night and didn't lose any of them. Yes. And Lamar Jackson fell down like three times because he had the wrong cleats on in the first half. So <laughs> the, the Ravens had some bad luck and the Browns had some good luck. And it's still, I mean, it, it, it was a good game. I, it was a great football game, but yeah, I mean, that's luck is a part of it, but I thought it was good football on both sides. 
Okay, Ken has had his hand up here for a little while, so I'll uh, go to him. As soon as you get that prompt, you can unmute and go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, been a couple of weeks since I've been on, but uh, <laughs> I had more comments than I did questions. Maybe you guys might give some uh, follow-up to what I said here, to what I say here. First of all, what a great game. Uh, I was around in the 80s when, uh, you know, Bernie first started, and this reminds me of, when Bernie first got there, they were eight and eight that first year. They had two running backs and, you know, they just kept building on it over the next several years. And I know Mary Kay was around then, uh, but they, you know, they just kept getting better. I think the one difference is uh, nothing against Marty, but I think Stefanski is going to be a fantastic coach. I think he's one of the bright minds of the game right now. Amazing what he's done, um, you know, in the short period of time. I love the play calls that he's made and I keep seeing him getting better uh, with the ingenuity and, and the way he does things. Uh, so excited about that. Um, secondly, and maybe a comment um, from you guys after I'm done, Miles sets up way outside. And, and I think I see him setting up further out than I've seen any other pass rusher, which I don't, I get that, I guess, because he's fast and he's quick and all that, but, I think it also blows some holes open for somebody to run through occasionally if it's not a passing play. So that was interesting to me. Um, and then um, the uh, the safety situation, they've got to get that figured out. I know they probably can't do much this year, and I don't know about this new guy that they've uh, got sitting there waiting to, to come in. But, uh, man, that, that down the middle is just burning them a lot, uh, whether it's a tight end or – you know, the, the little play there towards the end of the game where the guy kind of scooted down the middle and, uh, and he got hit with a pass, you know, a good safety would have been there. Uh, so, you know, whether we fix that a little bit now and Ronnie Harrison coming back will help. Uh, but uh, I guarantee you next year we're going to draft uh, to make sure that that middle's uh, much better than what we have been. So uh, excited about that. And then the last thing I was going to say is love Mary Kay's Christmas tree. So. We'll wrap it up with that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, those are all great points and great comments. And one of the things that stands out to me, when I look at that fourth and five play, uh, that magical miracle play that Lamar Jackson came in and made, you know, I have to wonder, uh, would that have been open? Would Marquise Brown have been open over the middle of the field right there had Ronnie Harrison been in that game, had Denzel Ward been in that game? I have a feeling uh, that that's the kind of play that, that Ronnie uh, would have been all over, uh, you know, there maybe even to, to, to pick off that ball or something like that. So uh, that I think that is going to make a huge difference when, when they get some of those guys back for sure. Uh, as far as uh, this reminding you of the 80s or Bernie Kosar. One of the things that I'm seeing in, uh, in Baker Mayfield right now is when he gets confident, when he gets in the zone, when he gets his swagger back, uh, that's when he's at his best. And now he's, he's back to being that playmaker. He's feeling dangerous. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, he's making plays with, with his feet. He's making plays with his arms. Uh, and, and he's just, he's improvising. And I, I think that's, when he's at his best, when he is just playing, you know, some, some street instinctual football like that. And these guys have worked very, very hard to help him feel good about himself and to make him feel comfortable and confident. And that's why you'll see 
that's why you'll see Coach Stefanski taking blame for the interception because they are preserving their quarterback's psyche right now. They want him to feel really, really dangerous the rest of the way. I think it's a really good comparison to the Schottenheimer-Kozar era. The thing I would say is referencing Schottenheimer's first full year when they go 8-8 eight and eight with Bernie Kozar uh, in 1985 and then 12-4 and four the next year. I think it's possible that the better comparison for the eight and eight year was last year, that last year was what should have been the build year, but it got a little screwy and that this is not the eight and eight. Let's figure it out year. This is secretly the 12 and four. We've got it together year. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that it's almost like Freddie Kitchen's year was sort of like Kevin Stefanski's first year because that like Odell was new. And it was Baker kind of getting it together a little bit and leaning on Chubb more and introducing Kareem Hunt. Like that was the work it out year. And this was like Kevin Stefanski hit the ground running. So we're seeing that. So I just, I think everybody's expectations, this doesn't have to be a build. This can be a, they're here and they actually have a chance to go 12 and four. Yeah. And you know, Doug, I think one of the reasons why it can be like that and should be like that is because I mean, the common denominator, if you, I mean, Paul D. Podesta, he is the chief strategy officer, right? So he's been here, uh, you know, through the past couple of regimes. And he, if, if he's, he has been building towards this. He has been part of building towards this. This is what is supposed to happen when you have, you know, all these Pro Bowl players and all these first round picks on your football team and you put it all together and you pair it up with a really good football coach. And yes, it was supposed to uh, get started last year. And it just, you know, it, it just didn't because Paul didn't get to pick the coach that he wanted. And it just, it, they were not in alignment and it didn't work out. So it was kind of, yes, it was almost like that was supposed to be Kevin Stefanski's first year. It just didn't happen to be that. And now they are in his second year. They, they almost needed that, though, <laughs> in a way. They almost yeah. needed to just kind of, like, screw up and hire the wrong guy. And then they fixed their mistake. Now, look, they got the a little... Browns needed to screw up more. Oh. They've been screwed up for <laughs> yeah. two decades. They I mean, they really, they really needed to screw this one up. Because... They had the guy right there, and they chose to go a completely different direction. They That's really your take? Your take is what the Browns needed was to screw up more? That's <laughs> what set, That's what got them on the right path was another screw-up? I, I, I do think it humbled this organization last year to kind of go through that, that off-season of hype and that, like, hey, we're on magazine covers, and uh, Baker Mayfield's going to be one of the, the best quarterback in football, and – whatever else and they hire Freddie kitchens and they're just riding this wave. And then it just crashes and burns and it was ugly and it was messy and it led to a really tough, you know, you got to blow everything up again. But I do think the organization was very humbled by that and kind of willing to say, we're going to let Paul run this thing. We're going to hire a guy like Kevin Stefanski and we're just going to stay out of the way. If they had, if they had let Paul DePodesta hire Kevin Stefanski instead of Freddie kitchens last year, would they have been good immediately last year because they had the right coach or would they have crashed and burned because they were hyped because they were going to be hyped. I That's think a little bit anyway. Question. Now, part of it is Freddie fed into the hype and I liked Freddie feeding into the hype because I wanted a team to have some swag. Stefanski probably would have tamped down 
that hype a little bit. That's his style. So they got humbled and hired a coach who wasn't into the hype. But I, I don't know, like, hey, we got Odell. Baker's ready to roll. We have Hunt and Chubb. Here we go. And Kevin Stefanski's our coach. I don't, I don't know that they would have needed the humbling if they would have had a better fit in their alignment and in their plan. I don't know. Well, you know, one of the things that I think happened, a byproduct or an unintended consequence of this whole thing, is that Kevin Stefanski had the opportunity to go call an offense and not only just go call any offense uh, for one full season, but he got to work with Gary Kubiak for one solid year. And he learned that Gary Kubiak way. And he learned uh, and he gained all that wisdom and all that knowledge from Gary. And I think that the Browns are benefiting tremendously from that right now. I, I think it just added a whole nother layer and dimension to who Kevin Stefanski is as a coach. So in some ways, I think it was a blessing in disguise because he, I think he hit the ground running in part because of that. Has he, has he been asked specifically about that? How much better he thinks he was as a candidate after that year, as opposed to if he would have been hired the first time around by the Browns? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if we've asked him specifically like that, but I have looked at that and I have thought, uh, you know, to, to have a year with a guy like that. Uh, and, and I mean, he was side by side in lockstep with, with Gary and that is absolutely invaluable. And plus all of the things that you learn when you actually call plays for one full season, as opposed to the three games that he had when he would have been hired uh, last year, I, I just think it's, it's night and day uh, what he knew when he arrived on the doorstep. And that avalanche of, of learning and growing that he didn't have to go through in terms of just the everyday play calling situations that come up, uh, he didn't have to do that in a COVID year. I mean, he had that under his belt. So I think some of those things were invaluable. Yeah, I'm not sure how he would have meshed with, uh, <laughs> you know, Kevin's a guy that I think probably makes it work, but I don't know how he would have meshed with that, that particular front office that decided to go in a, in a very different direction. Uh, Tyson has had his hand up here for a while. We haven't talked to Tyson in a while. He hasn't been coming on our, uh, well, he's been in the chat, but I don't think we've actually heard from Tyson in a while. So I'm going to ask him to unmute and you can fire away with your question when you're ready. Uh, it's because I ask horrible questions. So I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, but um, watching the game last night, it felt it. Uh, it's the opposite feeling I had when, when they beat the Steelers last year and miles was out in a, in a win, I felt horrible. And in a loss, I felt good, which doesn't make any sense, but that's, that seems to be how I felt. My question was, which was the worst beat? Was it the uh, safety yesterday or was it when Chubb uh, went ran out of bounds at the one, which I'm still claiming as a win for me, but that's okay. <laughs> so that's my question. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Ty Tyson was of course, one of our, uh, one of our guest pickers one week, obviously that week when, when Nick Chubb cost him, dude, I think it was last night. Definitely that's last such night. a weird way to, to lose that. I think that should be outlawed. I think it's a disgrace <laughs> to football. I hate that crap. Why, and everybody does. I hate it in college. I hate it in the NFL. And honestly, for real, I know, I mean, of course you would take it, but if the Browns had lateraled it 26 times and somehow scored a touchdown, is that how that game should have ended for real? That's how that should end. It's, it's what it's, it's Australian rules football by the end. 
it is the greatest degradation of a sport at the end of a game. It would be like if in the last 10 seconds of an NBA game, you didn't have to dribble anymore and you could just run around the court and try to shoot from half court between your legs to try to win the game. It's not football. I think there should be a limit of like no more than three laterals per play or something <laughs> because the, those plays only happen at the end of a game when you don't care if you turn it over. When you take away that a turnover punishes you, you can do whatever you want. It's nonsense. It's disgraceful. And anybody who lost money on that should send a letter to Roger Goodell right now and demand a refund because you lost money on football that wasn't football. I hate it. <laughs> I didn't know you felt so strongly about it, Doug. I actually gave a previous rant on Buckeye Talk because Rutgers did it a couple weeks ago. So I had that oh, yeah. lock, I had it I locked and loaded because I hate it all the time. <laughs> I just don't know. With those plays, I don't know how any of them actually end up being legal. Like there isn't some block in the back somewhere. There isn't some lateral that they missed that was actually a forward pass. I, I just don't know how you can even officiate that stuff. There and by the a- way, do you guys know one of, our, one of our subscribers pointed this out to me. Do you guys know how many times the Browns actually fumbled last night because oh. of that oh, because lateral? That, oh, there were probably five on that. <laughs> the, Browns, were... the Browns ended the game with seven fumbles. So there must have been there four. Were the, there were three by Higgins and two by Landry, and those, those were legit. But then they tossed in, like, which five is obviously way too many. But yeah. then they tossed in, like, two extras on that, uh, on that, on that play. Yeah. Somebody texted today that Brown's fumbled seven times. And I'm like, really? It was seven. Yeah, I, I saw that. But uh, here's the other thing. What if somebody pulls up with a little Achilles or something like that after that fun little sequence, right? Baker actually went down during that play. And I momentarily thought something had happened to him. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Yeah. There, was, there was one in a college game, I think it was last weekend, maybe. Yeah. I wish I, I think it was a Mac game. Yeah. And the quarterback, like... the quarterback got hit like three times on the play. Like and the other, the... actually one of the sidelines actually ran onto the field during the play. Uh, if you can find the video of it, the quarterback actually gets hit like three times in the last one, he just gets absolutely obliterated. It's uh, it's not great. The Stanford uh, so band might be team Doug on this one. The Stanford band ruined it for everybody. Cause everybody loves that thing from the eighties. The band is on the field. And now everybody wants that to happen. It's, <laughs> but it's even worse when it's the offense. Cause if it's, if it's on a kickoff and it's your special teamers tossing it around, that's different than Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb being in the middle of nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's irresponsible. Okay, uh, I want to throw this question out there because it's something else that has come up from last night's game. And it's the Browns' use of the run game. I believe somebody brought it up in the chat, but somebody also texted it to us. Uh, what we thought of how the Browns used the run game last night and their use of Nick Chubb. Uh, look, that passing game got cooking in the second half. Um, and you know, But I was a little surprised. I actually thought the Browns were going to come out and maybe attack on the ground a little more. Uh, and they didn't. They ended up really attacking through the air more than anything. Did either of you have an issue with kind of the balance in that game, even if it's just maybe early in the game you had an issue with it? I I don't know. It it stood out to me a little, but kind of based on how that game ended and the way the passing game went, I I think it's almost a moot point. Yeah, that that really didn't bother me all that much because it just didn't seem like they were were 
going to be hitting too many long runs or, or home runs or breaking. I mean, they, they were pretty focused on, on shutting down Nick. That seemed to be a huge part of the game plan. Uh, so, I mean, to keep beating your head against the wall, if it's not going to work, I, I didn't have a huge problem with that. 17 for 82 for Chubb. I mean, it's not like he, he, he didn't vanish, but there must be something because they didn't really run it right in the opener against Baltimore very much. And that one, I guess, got away. But it, there must be something that Kevin Stefanski sees, right, with the Baltimore defense, that it's his instinct to, to do this a little bit more. And they scored 42. So it's hard to argue with 42. So I think the point of, you know, what are we complaining about is there. But I'm curious about it. I'm not worried about it but I would I would love to have like an honest conversation of Kevin Stefanski of what is it maybe about the Ravens or a particular kind of defense that you decide we're probably going to have to attack it like this instead of attack it like that yeah I mean that's it's actually impressive sorry Mary it's actually impressive that he's already reached this point where he gets the benefit of the doubt in a situation like this where we just kind of trust this guy probably sees something or this guy you know clearly sees this is how to attack this particular defense it just seemed like uh, the, the tight end game was really going to be where, where they wanted to go with this. And I think that Austin Hooper missing the game, actually, I think that uh, that really kind of hurt their game plan a little bit because I think they knew that, uh, that, the, that the cornerbacks were going to really, uh, you know, mug the outside guys and that that would leave maybe perhaps the middle open uh, and that's where they could make their hay. And it didn't quite exactly work out, but it, it worked out pretty well, but it didn't go quite the way they probably planned. And, and I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt to Kevin Stefanski. I'm giving it to the 42. The six in the opener, you didn't get any benefit of the doubt for that. That wasn't good enough. That's fair. But they, <laughs> and it wasn't just the three touchdowns to end the game. Their first six drives, they had three touchdowns, a missed field goal that should have been an easy field goal, and two punts. That's pretty good. In a big-time game on Monday night against a well-coached team, <laughs> You have three touchdowns in your first six drives and what should have been an easy field goal. I'll take that. So it's what they did worked. Okay. Terry's got his hand up here. We'll go to you. I ask you to unmute and you can fire away with your question when you're ready, Terry. Okay. Uh, generally, I think NFL officiating is pretty good. I think it's usually much better than college officiating, but then I was a bit horrified that they did not even notice the 15 players on the field. Yeah, that was a tough one. <laughs> that was that was one of those ones. And obviously, look, they, they were able to go back and get it right. Um, but Kevin Stefanski also had to burn a challenge in, in the process. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't love to. I don't really love to talk about officiating, but that was that was a tough one. But uh, you know, as far as like little calls in games, I, I don't usually like to to get too into that because I think for every call you can find against a team, you can find another one. You know, I mean, I, I've watched, I've watched, play, go back to, uh, I'm trying to think what game it was. Baker had that third and 18 conversion to Rashard Higgins. Was that the uh, Houston game? I think if you go back and watch that play, JC Treader's got a pretty good hold on a defensive lineman there uh, that probably should have drawn a flag. So it always sort of evens out. Uh, we, we kind of watch a little bit in a bubble, I think, sometimes where we'd only notice the ones that go against the Browns. This was Ed, counting. It was counting. I'm not talking about that okay. one. Okay. All right. Uh, so that, that one, one you agree like, is terrible. I'm just saying generally speaking, okay. I don't do a I don't do a lot of official talk. But they should be able to count. We agree that yes, they, they should, should be, able, be to count. able to count. That okay. is that is a completely fair criticism. I had one other comment. Yeah, go for it. Um 
I saw somebody wrote, I think, in Sports Illustrated earlier in the week that the effect on the defenses when there are no crowd noise, do you think we would have done a little better job if we could have generated noise like in a normal situation on defense? Is that having any effect in the second half when we seem to be gassing out a little bit? I, I think so. I think not having the crowd does impact, you know, I mean, teams can communicate better. I mean, that's at the heart of it. You know, Lamar Jackson can communicate at the line of scrimmage. If you've got 70,000 people there that are super loud. That's a little bit tougher. I do think that the Browns are doing a good job of uh, utilizing whatever crowd noise they're allowed to pump in there. Uh, plus there's so much going on in the game in terms of, uh, I think the 12,000 that are there are very loud to begin with, but then they've got like players screaming from the scoreboards and, you know, they, they make it so, you know, just, it's, it's very distracting actually. Uh, so I don't think it's, you know, as much of a factor not to have that other, you know, 48,000 there uh, as it might seem because there, there is some generated stuff going on, uh, but it is, it is somewhat of a factor. I think the reference Kevin Seifert from ESPN wrote about the effects of COVID on the season and, and his lead thing was how uh, road teams are winning at a higher rate. They're winning 49% of the time, which is the highest since 2001 that road teams are having more success. And I think there's probably a combination of things there. you guys would know this much more than me, but I mean, anybody who has a great home field advantage, I think is feeling it this year, right? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, when the, when the Browns, when it's rocking at home, that's a really good home field advantage. Pittsburgh's a really good home field advantage. Maybe yeah. Jacksonville's not as good. So I would think, uh, I think it's possible if the question is in a normal season, would the Browns have one Monday night at home in a packed house with people going nuts? I think it's possible that the whatever difference, 5% difference that a home crowd makes in a game, that's an example of where it may have shown up. I think, I think if that's the point, I think it's a very astute point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a team like the Saints, for example. I mean, Mary Kay, you, you've been to Saints mm-hmm. games at the Superdome. I mean, that place is – Yes. You can't hear anything. That place is wild. Uh, we'll, we'll do one more here. I, I have a feeling that Bud might uh, be doing this just to disagree with my, uh, my officiating take. But I'll unmute you anyway, and you can go ahead, Bud. Yeah, two things. You're right. First, I want to go back to uh, Doug. I'm, I agree with Doug that this is a new game with the uh, uh, Josh Allens and Russell Wilson's, you know, running around. But the difference between them and Lamar is they're they're passers first. They're real quarterbacks. But what's and your I, point? But I don't. What's the point? It works. Point he is, was the MVP last year. My, my point is Jackson threw seventeen. He had eleven for seventeen for 163 yards, and they but, win. But the, what's the point? But his team wins, and he's very okay, hard I'll, to defend. I'll give you the point. The point is, one of these days, that Carl Joseph's going to throttle Lamar Jackson. He's not going to be playing anymore. And I and I don't mean to be cruel, but that's 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 what we were wishing for last night. Didn't Carl Joseph give him a heavy hit? Is, is Joseph the heavy hitter on the team? Quarterbacks get hurt in the pocket, I think, more than they get hurt running. You're standing okay. there, and you take a blindside sack, and you blow your knee okay. out. That's just well, as dangerous, we'll I think. We'll see. And, but back, oh, back to the referee thing. Let me, I, I disagree. I think this year, especially the second half, it's gone more uh, against the Browns. But 
a, a bigger point is the NHL has full-time refs. They, they don't have people that are insurance salesmen during the week. They, they live and breathe the, the tape and the study of being a ref. The NFL has billions more than the NHL. Why don't they do that? You see my point? Why don't they just hire or do, or are these full-time? Are these rest full-time? There are some that are full-time. I think there are a, a, a small percentage that are full-time, but I think most of them are not. Are not. So that may eliminate, like Doug said, it's simple. 14, there's 50 people on the thing and they can't even see that. Um, uh, so, in, or it could it could help in the consistency of the refereeing is, is what I'm saying. And again, the NFL has billions more than the NHL. Well, listen, sure. I, I mean, I do think that, you know, there have been, the NFL should probably invest more in getting these guys. Uh, you know, this is a, like you said, a billion dollar industry. There's a lot of money. On, people are literally winning and losing money every week on, on this product and, and gambling is legal. Uh, it's going to get in more and more states and that's just going to continue to grow and the officiating is going to go under the microscope in those cases. So I, I can get on board with you there that if the NFL wants to really improve that officiating product, I'm there. It's just the one thing that I don't like to do is sit and look at, again, we're not talking about the 15 men on the field. We're not talking about the pass interference in the NFC championship game, stuff like that. Just the ticky tack stuff that happens throughout an NFL game that I think really most teams deal with, but if you're a Browns fan or you're just primarily watching the Browns, it just stands out to you a little more that it happens uh, against the Browns. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it here on our, uh, this isn't technically a text or Tuesday because this is going to go up on a Wednesday, but we're going to call it text or Tuesday because we're recording it on a Tuesday. Uh, I'm always impressed to see how quickly all of you jump in here. Uh, kind of at the last minute when we just send out these texts, you jump in, you fire away with your questions. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. And since we didn't have a post game show for you this week, uh, we wanted to give you this opportunity. So we'll probably try this again next week as well, uh, since we probably won't have a post game show coming off the Sunday night game in New York. So uh, if you listen to this and you want to get involved in this stuff, football insider, you got to check it out. Uh, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a blue banner at the top of the page that you can click on. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For Doug and Mary Kay and all of our football insider subscribers who joined in the call on Dan, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>